So tonight's message, I've called when Jesus is everything. When Jesus is worth everything, when Jesus is everything. Have you ever wondered what Jesus is worth to you? Have you ever asked yourself what would you be willing to give up for your faith? What you would give up for Jesus? I'm starting light, I understand. It's an it's a easy question, we can all answer that easily. So let me pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the privilege it is to be gathered in, in your house, to be able to worship you quietly, to be able to glorify you. And Father, I pray that tonight you'd use my words, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge, inspire us, to be in a deeper, more committed relationship with you. Lord, I pray that the passion that we have for you would be seen by the people around us, that other people would see that there's something different in our lives. And I pray that tonight is just another addition to the incredible inspiration we've heard during this conference. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to see a photo of um, Nadia on the screen, a woman I want to tell you the story of. Nadia, Nadia's story has probably impacted me, I don't want to see the mo- say the most because I say that about every, every story that I share of the persecuted church, but it really impacted me on a level where I had to ponder it for a long time. Nadia's from Egypt and her and her family were traveling across the states to visit extended family and celebrate Ascension Day. You need to understand a lot of uh, persecuted Christians don't celebrate Easter because of the increased attacks that happen around Easter time. So Christians celebrate Ascension Day instead. It's 40 days after when Jesus ascended into heaven. And so Nadia and her family are on their way to see the extended family and celebrate. Nadia sees in the distance as they're traveling in a bus a couple of soldiers. And she assumes that they're there to ensure their safety as they travel across the state border. As they approach the soldiers, the soldiers shoot the tires of the bus and forcefully make their way onto the bus. Quickly, she understands that there's a threat. On the bus now, they're asking every male passenger if they're Christians. If they said yes, they were given the chance to renounce their faith, but if they wouldn't, they were killed in front of their family members. Now, what you need to know about Coptic Christians is that they wear a cross tattoo on their wrist from a young age, as a symbol of their commitment to Jesus. For everyone to see, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Haini, Nadia's son, was sitting three rows in front of her. And as these soldiers make their way through the bus like that, she watches Haini, her son, being given the option to renounce his faith, to save his life and to deny his faith in Jesus. But Nadia watches her son Haney raise his wrist, reveal his cross, and say, no, I'm a Christian. And she watches him die. Nadia luckily gets away from the attack with a few bruises and is met by partners of Open Doors. Our partners helped her with trauma care, making sure that she can process what she's experienced in a safe environment. Now, the 
incredible thing of that story is what Nadia said to our team. Because after that attack, she said, you know, you might think I wish my son would have made a different choice. And you, you need to know, of course, I'm terribly sad and I'm angry that I lost my son. But I'm proud of the faith that raised in him. I am proud of the faith I raised in him. I'm glad that he didn't make a different choice. And that has been such a comfort to me. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine what it would have been like to watch a family member be killed for their faith. But then to understand that it was my responsibility that they had that faith, Nadia being able to say, I was the person who raised that faith in my son, is unbelievable to me. Because it makes me realize that Nadia had such an understanding that Jesus was worth everything, that she wasn't just willing to give up her life, but the life of her son. Haney, her son, made an incredible sacrifice. He gave everything he had, his life. But Haney, I want, sorry, Nadia, I wonder if she's made an even bigger sacrifice. Raising the faith that she knew in the Middle East there's thousands of Christians that are dying, being killed for their faith. Raising a son, introducing him to Jesus, she knew the danger she would put him in. That's why I ask you the question, what is Jesus worth to you? I wonder if we ask that question enough times, if we ponder it, ponder it enough times. I certainly haven't before I heard that story. I will never comprehend what, what Nadia went through, but what I can see in her is that deep relationship with Jesus where she understands this is worth my everything. And I wonder if we too often live our lives as Christians being told who Jesus is by other people, being told what we're supposed to believe by other people and what Jesus has done in other people, rather than actually searching our heart, going back to our knees and ask Jesus to reveal himself to us personally. Because it is only when we know Jesus on a personal level, on a deep, intimate level, that we can actually say he's worth everything in our lives. Khan in Central Asia, a persecuted believer, experiences persecution every day of his life. His house is being attacked multiple times, his livestock is being stolen, his family is attacked. And when Open Doors offered to remove him to a safer place, he simply said, you don't understand, if I leave, who will tell them about Jesus? How can they learn about him if not through me? The more brutally they beat me, the more I saw their need for a loving Messiah. It is the passion for the other. It is the deep desire for the other person to meet the Jesus that has transformed Khan's and Nadia's life. And I wonder what my relationship with Jesus looks like when I portray it to other people. When I talk to other people about my faith. I wonder what they can see. Is it that I'm just a religious person? Is it that I have some certain beliefs on certain things? 
Or is it that I have a deep passion for the Jesus that has saved me and for the people around me that I want them to meet Jesus? Persecuted Christians are going through incredible suffering, but they're only doing it because they want their persecutors to meet Jesus. Why, as Open Doors, we're not stopping, we're not working to end persecution is because so many of the people we work with say, we could end persecution anytime. We just have to stop sharing Jesus. But that's not what they're about. They're about other people hearing the good news that they have heard themselves and meeting Jesus for themselves. I want to look at uh, Luke's account of the gospel and what Jesus is portrayed there as. Because I thought when we look at an account of the gospel, turn with me to Luke, one of the first chapters. I want to look at what Jesus says in the beginning. What does he say about himself? Who is this Jesus that is worth everything or hopefully is worth everything to us? The first um, passage we we see Jesus speaking, I've got one of those Bibles where it's read so it's easy to find. Uh, It's chapter 2, verse 49. Basically, Mary and Joseph are freaking out because they lost their son. They lost the savior of the world. It's not a situation I want to be in. Uh, and Jesus, they find Jesus and he goes, why are you searching for me? And I, I just have so many answers that Mary and Joseph could have given because I was like, oh, this is quite concerning. But he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? A simple priority for Jesus. First thing he's recorded in Luke's account. The second time he's been recorded to say something is when he cold shoulders Satan's temptations. Three times he gives Satan's, Satan answers of why he is not going to fall for him. And then we come to the third time. And that is the one I want to look at and I believe that is the key to who Jesus is and to who we're called to be as his followers. In verse 18 it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus reading Isaiah, saying that about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the God we serve. This is the Jesus that we get to follow. A God that has come to set the captives free. To wipe the slate clean and create justice for everyone. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is referring, or Isaiah, Jesus refers to Isaiah and Isaiah refers to the law. Where the the year of the Lord's favor is a year that every 50 years was supposed to come around for the people of Israel. Every 50th year there was supposed to be a wiping out of debts reallocation of land back to the people that originally had it. Can you imagine a society where debt is eradicated every 50 years? Where you get a fresh start? Where the, the, the slaves are freed, the oppressed are freed? That is the kind of world that Jesus is presenting here. Jesus' ministry was inaugurating the kingdom of God, God's reality of this world. A reality where There's no injustice, where there's no poor, where there's no slaves. And I find it so encouraging to know that when people ask me who Jesus is, I can point them to this. I can tell them that all the injustice they see in the world, that is what Jesus stands against. 
And that, was, that is what Jesus calls his followers to stand against with him. Nadia, Haney, and Khan, all of them, what they were doing is following Jesus and making sure that the people around them can meet Jesus. Understanding that Jesus is worth everything to them and therefore can be worth everything to the people around them. It's really why you have this conference every year. It's why you have Mission Sundays every Sunday. As I said before, the theme being the voice isn't a theme just for once. It's because this is the heartbeat of what it means to follow Jesus. The verse of this conference in Proverbs 31 verse 8 reads, To speak, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And your justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor, helpless, and see that they get justice. That is our call as followers of, of, of Jesus. That we make sure that we speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. That we follow in Jesus' footsteps as he has brought justice for the people that are experiencing injustice. One of my favorite uh, statements from a partner in the persecuted church is in the Middle East. When he was being asked if he was going to leave the area he was in because of the war and the devastation, he responded with, you know, a lot of, he mentioned that a lot of UN ambassadors had left the region. All the support they had had left. But he said, if the church, if Christians would leave, it would be a disaster. Because heaven's ambassadors would be gone. He compared followers of Jesus with, or he, he described followers of Jesus, he, he described himself as an ambassador of heaven. And I love that picture because it makes you realize, again, what heaven is all about. Heaven is all about that we invade this earth with the good news of Jesus, that people can hear what Jesus has done for them and what he's got planned for their life. I believe with all of my heart that if we become ambassadors of heaven, this world will be changed in an instance. If we take this mentality on that as Christians we're carriers of hope, agents of hope, ambassadors of heaven in this world, people will look to us and will come to us for answers, for hope, for more. Because there's something burning in us that represents Jesus. See, this life is not about waiting for heaven, but rather it's about living under the rule of God and new, as new creations in the here and now as heaven's ambassadors. Inviting our families and friends and neighbors to come along. Not to have all the answers. Not to know better than them or know exactly who God is and what he looks like and describe him but really just to live a life following him, inviting people to come along. So often we, we shock people by telling them what a Christian needs to be or what God is and what he's not, when rather we're called to invite them on the journey. Come along. I don't have all the answers, but what I do know is that Jesus is worth everything to me. And how do I know that Jesus is worth everything to me? I only know it if I do the work, if I actually go seek Jesus for myself. It is so dangerous to live a life as a Christian. I grew up in the church to just kind of live my faith based on what the people say around me. 
The persecuted church doesn't have the, the freedom or the privilege to live that life. Because when they're presented with the gospel, they know if I make the decision for that, it's going to cost me everything. And so that's why I believe it's important that we're aware of the persecuted church. That we can be asked those reflective questions and go, while I don't have to pay everything for my faith, I need to know what I'd be willing to pay. What costs am I willing to count for my relationship with Jesus? I love that. Nadia also said at the end of, of her conversation with our team that she wants to meet the man that killed her son. She wants to meet him because she wants to tell him that Jesus loves him and that she's forgiven him. And every time I think of that, I just wonder, would I be able to do that? Would I be able to do that? And the reason I believe Nadia and other persecuted believers are able to do it is because they see their persecutors as the ones that are oppressed. They see their persecutors as the ones that need to be set free. They see their persecutors as the ones that are enslaved. And if we start to see people around us actually being enslaved in the way of living that they feel is right but is clearly crippling them, we can actually get a heart to see them set free without the classic image that we have of slaves need to be set free and they're somewhere else, they're in other countries. There's people around us in our world that need to experience the freedom that Jesus gives and brings. But I believe we need to do it as well. We need to regularly come to Jesus and make sure that we don't feel like we're captives. That we come to Jesus and actually receive the freedom he promises. Another reflective question I want to ask you from Nadia's story is, what kind of faith are you raising in the people around you? When Nadia said that she was proud of the faith she raised in her son, I thought of my parents who raised my faith in me, so grateful to them. But I asked myself, what is the faith? What does it look like? What does the faith look like that I raise in the people around me? What do people see in me that I pass on to the people I introduce to Jesus? As a church, you have the vision to invite a thousand people, introduce a thousand people to Jesus in the next thousand days. And I cannot wait to see that happen. But what will be key in that process is that you are genuinely showing them your relationship with Jesus. That they come into a place where they see people just trying to figure it out. They don't have it all together, but they're trying to figure it out as they follow Jesus. As Jesus is worth everything to them. Every time someone, a new person will come in, they will need to see your faith. They can't just see Jack's, Carol's, Mitch's faith. They need to see yours. And the beautiful thing about this conference is that it's the 18th, 19th conference, and that it will, next year will be the next one and the next one. This isn't stopping, which means all these people that are joining are going to be part of helping reach more people, helping reach more communities for Jesus. 
But that's only going to happen if they catch your heart. If they understand your passion that you have for Jesus and the people around you. Tonight I thought we would take a moment to take communion because as uh, Mitch said, we haven't done it in a long time. Um, and it is a bit different with these, with these cute cups, but that's okay. Um, and I thought we'd do that because it's a special moment for, for us believers to, to think back to the time when Jesus had communion with his, with his disciples. When he did it, he told his disciples to do it often in remembrance of him. And as we heard all the stories and as I hope you're inspired to just dig deeper in your own relationship with God. As we ponder over scriptures in Luke where Jesus is saying who he is. That it is his heart to set the captives free. That we can come along and and be the voice for the voiceless. As we ponder all of that, I want to encourage us to firstly think of Jesus' death and resurrection for ourselves. And as I can hear, you're all getting ready, which is very good. So the first one, I want us to ponder on our own lives. Think of what God has done in our lives. What it means that Jesus' body was broken and beaten for us. That his blood was shed on the cross for us so that we could be in in right standing relationship with the creator of the universe. And then I want you to be aware of the fact that we get to do it with our brothers and sisters next to us. That we get to do it in a room, in an atmosphere of faith and encouragement left and right, almost standing shoulder to shoulder. I want you to think for the second time we're going to take it. For all the believers, all our sisters and brothers around the world that don't have the opportunity to do this in community. Who maybe haven't had the chance to take communion in many years because they're in prison. Who haven't had the encouragement um, presence of a fellow believer next to them in years because they're not allowed to meet. And I want us to remember them because they're paying an incredible price for their faith. So let me take the cup, take the bread. Going to read to us what Jesus did in Matthew 26, 26. We read, "While while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. So let's eat. Then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the many of the forgiveness of sins. Drink with me.
Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity we have to remember you in this way. For the opportunity that we can remember you together in community as a, as a family of believers. Lord, we come before you and we're grateful for the sacrifice you've made. That you've come to this earth, that you've limited yourself into human form and that you've walked in our shoes. That you've paid the price of dying on the cross for us. Defeated death so that we can be in relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in us as we try and, and come closer to you day by day as we try and, and become more and more like heaven's ambassadors in our community. Lord, I pray that you give us the strength, the courage to say that you are worth everything in our lives. Amen. So maybe you've already prepared the second cup or not. Do it now. I love this moment because as we are free, as we're able to meet, Jesus made us remind, remember something so crucial in our life with something so simple. He had a meal with friends. He was sharing food. And he made sure that something that most likely for the rest of history people will eat is bread, people will drink wine, and he made sure that these symbols remind us of the past that we're forgiven of. The present that we're able to walk in confidence into the throne room of God. And into the future that we have a hope for eternity. But in reality today there's over 300 million Christians that are not able to have meals with their friends around the table. They're not able to share their faith experience with their brothers and sisters because of their faith. And so as we take this communion for the second time, I want you to think of our brothers and sisters in Central Asia that we're helping this year. The deaf community that is experiencing revival but is experiencing double persecution, firstly for their faith in Jesus but also for the fact that they're disabled. For the Christians around the world that are not able to meet because they're in prison, because of their faith. And so in remembrance of them, let's do it again. I'm going to read, I'm going to read from the same passage again. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.
God, we come before you again in awe and wonder. Lord, we're grateful for the relationship we get to have with you. And we bring before you tonight every believer around the world that isn't free to celebrate and remember you in this way. Lord, we pray that you'd continue to give them the strength they need, the courage to walk their lives boldly, telling everyone everywhere that Jesus is worth everything. Lord, I pray that you would remind them tonight that there's a global body of believers around the world that haven't forgotten about them, that have committed to continue to supporting them no matter what it takes. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your presence right now. And Jesus, as we remind ourselves of them, I pray that you would do your work in us. You continue to bring us closer to you so that we can invite other people into relationship with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.